This week on Art on the Air, we feature exhibition and project coordinator for Indiana University Northwest, Kathy Heeman, discussing her own art journey, practice, and upcoming exhibit. Next, we speak with Trina Jackson about exhibiting her late uncle Charles Bugg's Native Mass in February at the Lake County Library. Our spotlight is on Footlight Players presenting the musical review, Jerry's Girls. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art. Welcome, you're listening to Art on the Air on WVLP 103.1 FM and Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, our weekly program covering arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art on the Air streams live at WVLP.org and is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m., plus is also heard on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, every Sunday at 7 p.m., also streaming live at lakeshorepublicradio.org and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. And we'd like to welcome back to Art in the Air Spotlight, the uh, Footlight Players in Michigan City in their new production. We're going to be talking with Laura Meyer, the director, and the show is a musical review of Jerry Herman's music called Jerry's Girls. Laura, welcome to Art on the Air Spotlight. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the show? If uh, no one's familiar with Jerry Herman's music, which I would really be surprised at, it's kind of like parts of the new American songbook. Like if people uh, thought of Irving Berlin from one generation, Jerry Herman represents another one. So tell us a little bit about the show and the music. Well, uh, as you said, the music is by Jerry Herman. It's a musical review, so there's very, very little dialogue. It's almost all music. Um if you're not familiar with Jerry Herman music, the, he did the music for Hello, Dolly, and Milk and Honey, and Mame, Lakaja Foe. So you might be familiar with his music and just not his name. Uh, there are eight people in the cast, eight women in the cast, because they're all girls. Mm-hmm. And... Um, There are 21 songs in the first act and about 18 in the second act, and there's a costume change for almost every one of them. So, with your um, with your talent, is it local and regional, or did further was there a call further out than that? It's it's pretty much local. Uh, We have some from Laporte and some from Chesterton, but mostly Michigan City. So, you say you have lots of costume changes, and you didn't use a male for a Zuzu's part from La Caja Faux. Nope. Okay. It's all the girls singing it. <laughs> oh, okay. Because, you know, uh, if people... Because of 
Girls, I, I understand. Yeah, some people do have a guy in there because he's he's doing a girl's persona and everything. So We did talk about doing that, but um, after much discussion, we decided to go with just the girls. Okay. So um, how long does your show run? I mean, not meaning the, how, what's the running time of it? It's about two hours. Intermission or you go, is that a straight through? So, yeah, the, it's, a, it's in two acts. Uh, there is an, a 15-minute intermission, at which time we always uh, sell 50-50 tickets <laughs> to raise money for the theater, of course. I think most theaters do that. Um, and uh, another show that might be familiar with pe- to people is um, Mac and Mabel. He wrote the music for that, too. And that's, that's kind of an older show, but some of the more mature people might recognize that. Yeah, I bet it turns into a sing-along. <laughs> the um, audience? Only, uh, only when Dolly comes out. And there uh, are three Dollies. We have uh, three women that are all Dolly at the same time in the same, uh, I mean, they have identical costumes. And, they're, and then they get the audience to sing with them. It's going to be hard not to just spontaneously burst out into song with those <laughs> singable tunes. You know, I really think that if, if that happened, we would welcome it for sure. <laughs> it's a fun show. There's a, there's a lot of cute little um, side things with it, not in dialogue, but in action. And for instance, we have a, a strip scene that the girls sing, take it all off. And then, uh, the main character comes out and they sing, put it back on. So the, the cutesy things throughout the show to to make it comedic. Now, in the Broadway production, they actually did a finale with a, well, in some cases, they actually had Jerry Herman or later on a Jerry Herman character come out at the very finale. Did you have, using that type of thing or just uh, going with the whole all girls? No, we're just going with all girls. Okay. I would like to add to that, that my husband, Lee Meyer, is the music director and the accompanist. And we have uh, Noel Carlson playing the drums. Okay. What are some of the names of your era actresses that are in the show? Uh, Danielle Bilderbeck, uh, Debbie Bartholomew, Emmy Regal are the three leads. And then we have a chorus of Adriana Ladoni, Jill... Richie, I'm trying to remember last names because I just call them by their first names. Um, Debbie Reason, Kathy okay. Chase, and Kristen. Uh, I can't remember Kristen. Oh, that's okay. Name. Kristen will remember you when you're on the stage. So now the show is running. Yes, for sure. When's the show opening and how long is it running? It opens on February the 4th. It runs through the 4th through the 6th, the 11th through the 13th. The 18th through the 20th. Closing night is the 20th. Uh, actually, matinee is the 20th at 2 o'clock. We, we have showtimes at 7.30, and on Sundays, there are matinees at 2 o'clock. Very good. And how much are tickets, and uh, where can they get those, Laura? Tickets are $15 for adults, $10 for students. They can get their tickets by calling 219 Eight seven four four zero three five, and making a reservation, they pick up their tickets at the door. 
but we reserved seats for them. Is there any online ticket ordering at your website? Not at this time. Okay. Well, that's something down the road. But they can find out information about that at your website at footlightplayers.org all at once. And uh, you can come see that. And uh, real quick, we've got 30 seconds left here. Uh, What's next uh, for Footlight Players? What's the next show? The next show is Drinking Habits. And it's a cast of eight, five women, three men. Um, it's a comedy about nuns making wine in the basement of the church. <laughs> An excellent thing. Well, thank you so much, Laura. That's uh, Laura Meyer, director for Jerry's Girls, Footlight Players at 1705 Franklin Street in Michigan City. You can get tickets at 209-874-4035. Laura, thank you for much coming on yes, Art on the Air Spotlight. thank Spotlight. you, Laura. Thank you. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. We actually like to welcome back to Art on the Air. Had her on before describing some of the events at IU Northwest, but she's here going to have her own uh, exhibit. But we want to talk about her art in general and also her whole life as an artist uh, working at IU Northwest. Uh, she's interested in like the tension and uh, uh, perception and memory in creating her artwork, and she uses photographic imagery to uh, create some of her artwork. Please welcome to Art on the Air, Kathy Feeman. Welcome, Kathy. Oh, hi. Great to hi, be here. Hi, welcome. <laughs> well, we usually like to start off with our uh, feature interviews about uh, finding out about our people. Uh, I always like to say how you got from where you were to where you are now. So talk us about like where you grew up, how art influenced you early in your life, uh, kind of like your whole little resume here. Ooh, okay. Because <laughs> it's a short, short order. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I actually grew up, my family is from the southeast side of Chicago. So I was born in South Chicago. Uh, but grew up in the south suburbs, Lansing, uh, and about three and a half. So I've got three brothers, no girls in my family. Always did creative things. I had a mom who was really great about providing space for that. You know, we, we lived in kind of a rural area. She wasn't afraid of messy things. And so, uh, that you know, that was just my pursuit always. I never actually saw myself doing anything but uh, making art, actually. Um, so as I graduated from high school, I went to TF South and, um, I actually went directly into a commercial art school in Chicago, uh, really, um, because I just thought that was a good idea. <laughs> I went to school for illustration <laughs> and, um, I, I think it was a, how do I make money doing this? I guess I'll do this, you know? So it seemed like a good idea. And um, so I, I did that for a while, worked, you know, kind of freelance in Chicago way, way back when. Uh, but as I had kids, I have two children um, who are creative adults now, and I'm just crazy about them. <laughs> uh, but as my kids were um, getting old enough to, uh, you know, they were in school, and I actually decided to um, teach art for a little bit at um, a small private elementary school. And um, I, I enjoyed a lot of aspects of that. But I'll tell you, I gained so much more respect for teachers during that time. Um, but it was an interesting time for me to really explore new things that I could present to my students. So, and, uh, you know, I, it was a small school. So I knew all the kids in the school. And I, and I did enjoy that kind of, you know, mentoring and relationships and things. But I really never 
thought I wanted to do that full time. So um, thus began the journey of why did I pursue illustration? That's really not what I want to do. <laughs> and a little uh, uh, a journey with a few friends of mine who um, just sort of thinking this through, like what you know, how how do we how do we be artists in you know our time and place in life? So I started taking some workshops and. Really, I thought my, you know, I wrote some goals out. I, I want to be an exhibiting artist and went to a few classes. And uh, I remember a long time ago, Janet Block did um, a little workshop at South Shore Arts um, about exhibiting in galleries and took a bunch of notes. I thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I had a little studio in my house. Uh, at that time, we lived in Highland and um, I was teaching kids there too and I, I I'm gonna make art I'm gonna make a body of work and I'm gonna and when I went online to look at like okay I need a resume and you know first thing on the resume is your education for an artist and I thought oh I didn't get that fine arts education well maybe I can work around. I kept sort of bumping up into this and uh, a friend of mine had started taking some classes here at IU Northwest because she also her kids were in high school and she had always wanted to get a fine art degree. So I came in, uh, sat in with her a little bit in her studio time and thought, I really think I need this, but I really couldn't see myself going back to school. It just seemed like I, I just can't do that. I'll just have to, you know, maybe I'll audit some classes or something. <laughs> and uh, I, I was actually brought my daughter in to register. She was just graduating high school. And I thought, I'll audit classes. The policy had changed. It used to be you could audit a class for the lab fee. I thought, perfect. It won't cost me a lot of money. I'll start taking a few things. <laughs> well, that had changed, and it cost you know, the normal amount. And as I sat there, I honestly, this was a real epiphany for me. I, I just heard this voice inside me saying, you've been living in regret. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. I should have done this. I shouldn't have, you know. And um, I thought, I think I'm going to now. Now up. is the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And another thing that really rang in my head was several years before my grandmother. She she died when she was 90, and when she thought she was dying, she was sort of on her deathbed, but she lived a little while longer. But she told us a story about how when she was a young girl, this is I'm guessing in the 20s. She was offered a scholarship to the School of the Art Institute, whether it was called that then, I don't know. And her family, you know, things were tough and they said, that's ridiculous. You're not going to do that. I never, she never spoke of it again. To my knowledge, she never did anything creative. That was just put away. It's foolish. And here she is. She's 90 years old. And this is the thing she's telling us. That was, that was ringing in my ears, like. I'm not, I'm not going to live in regret. You know, I'm right. not going to be 90 years old and going, you know what? I wish I had. So anyway, I, I signed up. And, and then here um, you have a genetic predestined, you know, <laughs> you have a genetic link to the arts. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, every, it's funny when you do creative things, everyone in your family wants to take credit for it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, you take after uncle who or what, you know. <laughs> but, um, uh, my, yeah. Anyway. So anyway, I, 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 some of my stuff transferred, so I was able to finish in an intense three years. Uh, but I just loved it. I loved the experience. I know why I needed to come back. Um, it was it was just life-changing for me. So uh, I really believed in the program. And 
after I graduated, I was just sort of figuring out what was next and thinking about maybe going to, well, I was seriously considering grad school and applying. Um, but so, so I actually started can I, working. Can I, uh, can I just interrupt with a question about yes. your schooling then? So how did it, so did you, did you develop do you feel you developed your direction there with your body of work or how did it affect you the way you just um, indicated? Yes. Well, okay. Interesting thing. So I, I came in because I had taken a lot of the basics already, a lot of skill-based classes in my previous art education. So I was in advanced painting and in critiques, my professor, Dave Clayman, he would say, I mean, these are really done well, but it's like, it's like you've been unaware of what's been happening in the art world for the past, you know, 30s years or something. And I said, well, because I have, right. <laughs> I had no art history. It was all, and it was, a, it's a, it was um, a really well-known program. It was well-respected in, you know, at that time in Chicago, but it was all skill-based. And I really, I didn't know anything about contemporary art, nothing. So that was really important for me to understand things like art theory and a lot of the finer points of art history, the philosophy of art, all that was just brand new for me. Um, so to be pushed in that direction to not just make art, but to think about these are your ideas embedded in this. And what are you trying to say? What, what, what is in you that needs to come out, you know, and really a lot of journaling and, frustration with processing and all of that but but it was all really good and um I will say if I had gone to a four-year college straight out of high school I wouldn't have been really very interested in a lot of the non-art courses that I had to take as an adult I I was really much more interested and could see all these you know you know, U.S. history. I, I just could care less when I was younger. <laughs> right. But I thought, no, this is this is applicable to my life, to our day and time. And um, so even all of that stuff, English classes and some sociology classes, like all of that was just really sort of built um, more who I am as an artist. So really, it's just the beginning, you know. I mean, um, as we were graduating, you know, I had some friends who were stressing about, oh, what are you going to do? I'm like, I, I think we're just starting. We don't know what's next. So I'm just going to one step after the next. So, um, but I did start working here. I was just sort of part-time helping. So as far as the IU Northwest um, stuff and, uh, and then did some teaching, came back when Lauren Pacheco started working here. And I was really interested in some of what she was taking on here. So that's what I'm doing now, uh, helping with exhibitions and um, some of the programming and stuff like that. Tell um, us a little bit more about what you're doing there at IUN. I mean, the whole program that they have and how that's working. And of course, the new facilities you have there too. Oh yeah, the facilities are great. So uh, the the great thing about um, <laughs> after I graduated, I, you know, I, I didn't, I wanted to sort of keep the momentum. So I just, kept enrolling for a one credit hour to keep the studio because they were available. So I was around, you know, just around. <laughs> and then, so once we moved into the new building, I was still, I still had a studio for a semester, I think. Um, so it's, it's beautiful. The facilities are, are great. Um, there's always something, you know, 
there was something really special about the old building, but you know what? It was an old building. It, it needed to go. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, we always felt like we were a little bit apart from campus. We were, you know, it was a temporary building. We were off campus. So the building here just offers a lot. I mean, the performing arts um, facilities are, are incredible. It's just, you know, Technology is embedded into everything. Um, our communications program is expanding. There's broadcasting and um, podcasting programs. And the fine arts, we have, um, you know, just a lot more space, beautiful space, natural light. I mean, it, it, it's really, um, people do not know uh, really how, how, how excellent a facility is, you know, in our region. A lot of people just don't realize we're here. So part of my job is helping to, uh, helping to introduce our region to our program. So that's sort of a part-time of my part-time job <laughs> is recruitment, just getting people on campus to experience what we have. Uh, we've got, you know, an, an additional gallery that was built and it's just really a beautiful space too. So there's a lot here. We um, we're we're always looking to expand and grow. And uh, in the last three years that I've been working here for Lauren, uh, we've been really focused. Apart from, in spite of COVID, I should say, uh, we've been focused on doing a lot of community outreach and just sort of stretching the boundaries and trying new things. And that's been really fun. Um, we had a we did a, a test. Uh, let's see, when was it? Last fall, we sort of did a test run of um, of a projection project. We brought in some artists from Chicago and set up on Broadway and had this live music projection thing. And, you know, we didn't advertise it really because we were just sort of testing out the equipment. But so, you know, just watching people drive by and what's this crazy thing going on, you know, <laughs> And uh, it was a lot of fun, and people saw it on, on social media and were like, tell us when you're going to do another one. So we're just trying to bring that stuff out into the community just to, you know, it's fun, it's engaging, it lets them know who we are, and hopefully we inspire people to come and be a part of what we're doing, too. Yeah, the building is really a, a jewel. You know, I, I briefly worked there in the early transition uh, to kind of help them set up the theater for uh, outside operations. So I was there for, uh, from 2016 for like about a, oh, yeah, about a, not quite a year and a half and everything kind of goes consulting. So, but it's a beautiful facility. Uh, you go through the arts areas and everything there, but it's, and even, even non-related to arts, the laboratories are just phenomenal too, that they have oh, there. Yeah. So now with your part-time <laughs> job, do you still, you obviously now have time to practice art a little bit too. And you have facilities there that you have access to. Yeah, I do. I, I do. You know, it is nice working here. I, I mean, I have access to really a lot of software because um, I'm trying to sort of expand. Um, I love painting and I love the tactile experience of making art, but I'm also interested in introducing other other components, um, whether it is a projection or um, audio. I've been um, the last two projects I've been working on uh, involve interviewing people and and gathering stories that accompany um, the exhibition, the the drawn or painted or photographed work that's that's there. And I'm um, looking for 
you know, interesting ways of incorporating that. So, I mean, we have a, uh, a shop here for fabricating stuff. So there, there's a lot of, it, it, there's a lot of uh, opportunity. There's resources here. I will say that still, um, I know that artists who work even, even if it's not fully full time, it's, you know, it's a challenge trying to juggle everything, but, um, but that's life. <laughs> it's life as an artist. I would love to start talking about your art, your personal art. And sure. um, I know you, you have an exhibit, a solo exhibit coming up at the Chesterton Arts Center, Center called Shadow yes. Mooring, Moorings and Undercurrents. And uh, yes. moorings, moorings seem to be a, a prominent theme with you, like anchoring and stability um, and memories and family. And so I, I want to know, yes. like, in me- like just Kathy, in memories in general, some years they can be viewed either fondly or harshly, depending on the moment of remembering. How do you reconcile that right. tension of remembering in your work? Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting thing. Uh, this And this is a theme that started to develop during my undergraduate work. Um, but it's evolved a little bit um, and and sort of grown into some other areas. Uh, but just, you know, the, the whole dementia and Alzheimer's thing is just so prevalent. You keep hearing stories that, you know, people that, you know, have family members and, and who just sort of get lost, you know, they, and that's kind of what started me thinking about the idea of memory, but then it sort of went into other areas and, and personal areas and, and just um, reading a couple books. I mean, I was fascinated by some of the Oliver Sacks stories, um, you know, they're case studies. So these are like really unusual things that he's come into, but, you know, people who, um, can't remember five minutes or 30 seconds, you know, it's like they're starting over constantly. And um, his observation with that was when you don't, aren't aware of your past, you aren't aware that you have a future. Like there's no, you're not tied to any, right. any space and time. And that was an interesting idea to think like, well, so what, what sort of shapes your personal narrative? And, you know, my dad's a, a great storyteller and you get him going. He, he grew up um, in the projects on the east side of Chicago, um, southeast side by the steel mills. And he's just got a ton of stories. You get him going. And and um, I'm pretty you document sure. Them? Have you accurately. documented them? Well, you know, I just got a new little microphone to plug into my phone. And um, I, I've been seeing him a lot more lately. I'm going to start doing some sessions because we'll lose that, right? I'll remember parts of what he said, or I'll remember, I realized that even starting to look at family photos, like you remember not so much what the photo was, but what was happening at that time, or there's always a context that's, you know, not just information. There's so many emotions tied up with this. So many things trigger different memories and um, same with telling stories were... like if your father has told these stories sometimes just the, in the telling of it you remember a detail that you add that's why it's right it's, memory's fascinating yeah and yeah it is to me and um, just I mean it's most prominent like when you think of childhood memories and as an adult it's like oh well it wasn't like that it didn't happen every day that happened one time or you know things are so exaggerated because 
you know, you're interpreting it as you're experiencing it, and then you're reinterpreting it while you're remembering it. So, um, so that's just kind of an interesting dynamic with that. Um, and then my, so this current show that's at um, Chesterton Art Center is really a combination of a couple different bodies of work. Um, the most recent one was the one where I started recording stories and I, I had a show at Lubeznik with the work that I had so that to that point. And then um, pandemic hit right after that. So uh, people were not so willing to meet with you and <laughs> <laughs> connect with you even it, it, it you know, was kind of a sad thing that that sort of came to a standstill. But um, uh, I, I had actually come across um, a picture that I was using in a uh, another project of my great grandmother holding my mom. My mom was one year old, and my great grandmother immigrated here from Croatia. And she, I never knew her. Obviously, she was just like in this picture, looked like this seven foot tall, just mighty woman holding my mom like she was a loaf of bread. I mean, that's how <laughs> sort of get the visual, you know. And I started thinking, well, this this is my roots. And she was one of the people, one of the women um, who really sort of built this steel culture, you know, this community. Um, one of the people sort of behind the scenes. And I don't know if you know anything about that area, but, you know, my dad worked in those steel mills and um, it was a thriving community that sort of always kind of felt forgotten. And then after the steel mill shut down and so many people were out of work and there's just such economic disparity there, that it still never bounced back. It's just sort of a little forgotten corner in Chicago. So uh, I just thought it would be interesting to start collecting stories of women who immigrated into that area just to sort of honor the contribution they made and, mm -hmm. and, it was interesting, the stories I was getting and, and people were saying a lot. Some of the people, family members still lived in the area, but a lot of them moved on. Um, but they would say things like, well, thank you for telling these stories because we do feel forgotten, you know. So um, I got several and, and I, I realized that I love hearing people's stories. I love that connecting with someone and getting just a little um, a little insight into their life and their experience. And these were not all happy stories by any means. There was a lot of hard times uh, these women pressed through. But um, I thought it was a project worth doing, and I, and I would like to continue it. So having said that, anybody who might be listening to this that has a family member or if you yourself have immigrated to that area, um, please contact me. I'd love to hear your story. Um, I guess we'll give contact information at the end. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and tell us your contact because we've got a little less than okay. a minute left and tell oh, us the contact Oh, you're kidding. So. Oh, it goes by so fast. Yes, it's, uh, well, my website is kathyfeeman.com and it's Kathy with a C, C-A-T-H-Y, F like Frank, E-E-M-A-N.com. Um, my email is kathyfeeman at gmail.com if you want to send me anything. I, I would love to hear your story and add that to this body of work and, and let it, let it grow. 
We'd like to thank you for being on Art of the Year. You can see her exhibit at the Chesterton Arts Center February 1st through the 26th with a reception on March 5th, uh, 11 to 2 p.m. at the Chesterton Arts Center here in Chesterton. Kathy, thank you so much for sharing your whole story there on Art on the Air. Yeah, just fabulous. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. And we'd like to welcome to Art on the Air, Trina Jackson. She'll talk a little bit about herself, but what she's here to do is she's become kind of a curator through her family. Her late uncle, Charles uh, Bugs, he's a retired artist, and he has a whole bunch of native masks from Alaska, and she inherited the estate. And she's got a display coming up. It's been displayed in the past at Gary Public Library. It's going to be an upcoming one in February at the Lake County Central Library in Merrillville. And so they we're excited to talk to her about this whole development, about how his uh, background is, and a little bit about uh, Trina herself. Welcome to Art in the Air, Trina. Thank you so much, Larry. I, I greatly appreciate this. Um, yeah, welcome. Thank you. Well, briefly, we first wanted you just tell a little bit about yourself, because I think you have an interesting story also, and then we'll get into your mission as a curator, so to speak. Well, believe it or not, I am Dr. Trina Lynch-Jackson. Um, I teach at Ivy Tech Community College, the Lake County campuses, which consists of Gary, East Chicago, and Crown Point. Uh, my focus is on the School of Business and Logistics and Supply Chain Management, um, which is critical at this time, and it almost aligns with the talk that I'm going to actually share with you on masks, because believe it or not, we are required in many of our workplaces to, in fact, wear masks. <laughs> so I'm going to be sharing um, with everyone um, the story of my late uncle, Charles Dean Bugs, um, who um, actually created a method called the armature method in um, making masks. And what, tell us what that is, the armature method, so we, our radio audience will understand that. Okay. Well, basically, he created kind of a workbook, and he always started with sketching a picture of what you wanted. So you would sketch the picture of your mask, and then he had in detail in the workbook basically how you would form the shape of the mask, and you did this with different types of construction paper, uh, plenty of Elmer's glue. He always talked about using the most expensive paper, brown paper bags, <laughs> you know, something that um, we actually talk about um, recycling. So it was brown paper bas bags. He um, actually... Um, graduated from East Chicago Washington High School in 1953, which is interesting because I graduated from East Chicago <laughs> Washington High School. And my dad, who was his mentor, my dad, Travis Bugs, he's alive right now. My dad graduated from East Chicago Washington High School. So there's a lot of um, memories there. And legacy. Absolutely. So Trina did so what was what was your uncle's art background and did his family appreciate his love of this and support it? Do you know any of those stories of his childhood? 
Oh, yes. Thank you for asking that question. My uncle was always sketching. He would uh, first he started off with pencil, pencil sketching, then charcoal sketching. And my grandmother, the late Edna Boggs, always supported him in those efforts. He eventually went to Howard and he was extremely proud of being a graduate of Howard. He graduated with honors in fine arts. And he tells the story of a, a class that he took where they were challenged to create something different and unique. And that's when his love of mass making started. But he dived a little more into the history of mass making. And it's just amazing. I've read a, a lot of things. Um, and listen to his stories, how he talked about um, early man and how early man created masks, basically masks almost of animals, so that when they hunted down these animals, they look like those animals and they were able to be successful in their the capture of those animals. So it's really interesting, um, the workbook that he wrote and um, the stories that he shared with me. Right, because it's very, I mean, from the beginning of man, the shamans, you know, that would be a very big part of um, their persona would be the masks that they would put on. So it's very ancient. And, and so what I, are the masks made out of? Uh, the actual texture of the, of the mask before we talk about the, uh, you know, the concept of what, what, the, what how's the mask form? Well, he actually forms them with, um, it's kind of a supported wood type frame, but a thin wood type frame. And it's framed, as you're looking at me, in the shape of a face. So it has to be framed in the shape of a face. And he used staples because he wanted to staple everything in. And once you made that frame in the shape of a face, then you start this process with um, paper mache. So you're using the best quality paper bags, <laughs> the best quality of glue. And you start and he's like very patiently, you're tearing the paper and you're forming the mold. And I realize this is a radio interview and the audience really can't see a face. But I had shared with you a face earlier and um, many of the faces that he created, actually, um, he named some of the masks. Um, I'm just going to hold this one up. And I realize the audience can't see, but I'm showing this to you. And let's describe it. It kind of looks like a skeleton. but has yellowish eyes. It's a white base. Um, yeah, you can better, maybe better describe it for us. He actually called this mask the Day of the Dead. Oh, okay. So this is a representation of the Day of the Dead. And I brought this to school um, one year, and I was showing it to some of my students. And um, many of my Hispanic students were just amazed um, at the mask, and they kind of wanted to touch it, but I had to really tell them hands off um, because, again, it is um, paper mache, but um, everything is... Um, really sealed. So, so Trina, are those are those eyes dimensional? It's hard to tell from just. Hold, it looks like are they? It yeah, they are dimensional. Yeah, it's a very beautiful mask. They are dimensional. Um, 
it's just amazing. Some of the um, masks also have horns because he tried to focus on different cultures. So um, if a mask had horns, he would use hangers, use wire hangers. But again, a lot of this is just merely um, brown paper bags. Household <laughs> items. Absolutely. Elmer glue, um, some styrofoam. If you want, really want it to be intricate, and I'm going to hold up another one, Larry. I'm sorry that the audience can't see this, but I'm holding this up for oh, you to look at see. That. It's beautiful. Okay. Detail. And with this one, he would add beads, um, different types of um, sometimes shells. You'll see seashells on these. And these. Can you flip it, Trina, so I could see the back? Oh, beautiful. Oh, I love that he's dated them, too. That must help you tremendously. Yes, he's dated the masks, and some of the masks he's actually um, appointed names to them because he really uh, studied different cultures, and he taught at the um, in the high school. He taught fine arts at the high school in Washington D.C. for many years. Unfortunately, he loved fishing. Here we go, Larry. My <laughs> uncle loved fishing, and he took a trip to Juneau, Alaska. Well, the salmon fishing had him. He <laughs> caught the bug. He returned back to the Washington, D.C. school system. He had enough years to retire. He packed up everything, and guess what he did? Moved to Alaska. <laughs> he relocated to Juneau, Alaska. He drove through Canada, enjoyed all the amazing sights, put his vehicle on a ferry. He ferried over to Juneau. He was able to obtain a job. Um, he worked as a mental health counselor um, in Juneau, Alaska for the state of Alaska. But the majority of his time he spent teaching high school students the art of mass making. So what he was able to do while he was in Juneau is he learned a lot about the Alaskan culture. He created masks um, really for uh, a lot of their ceremonies. He worked with the young students the same way he did at the D.C. high schools, and they were able to create masks. So he really embraced uh, the art of mask making. And I really wish I could show you the um, Raven mask, but it is entirely too large to actually pick up and show you. But these masks, again, will be on display at the Lake County Library for the month of February. Unfortunately, I will only have five masks on display there. And I'll kind of show um, different, I guess, pages of the workbook so that individuals are able to see some of the other masks. But um, in the condo um, that he left me, because when he passed, I was the first niece. <laughs> so the first niece um, received the condo and all the masks. And the main reason, Larry, why he actually um, left all of this to me, because he knew 
I would keep the property. He didn't want anyone to sell, sell the, it. Sell yes. the property. Um, but um, I adored him. I became a long distance caregiver. Unfortunately, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. Oh. And at some point in our conversations, I, I flew to Alaska to um, spend some time with him because um, um, I cherished him and it was mutual. He was always proud of me. Um, many of his neighbors would say, he's going on about this Trina, Trina, Trina. We thought she was an imaginary person and, and we're finally able to meet you. And um, it was just um, so much fun. He took me all around. Um, Juno is an island, just like Oahu. <laughs> and um, it really doesn't take you a lot of time to get around Juno. And when I spent a summer with him, he decided he was going to create a rock garden just outside of his condo. So we went around the island and we picked up all kinds of wildflowers and we planted it in this rock garden. So um, when I spend my summers and winters in Juneau, especially my summers, um, I'm able to open up the, the shades and um, just look at this rock garden um, we shared in planning. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. But in that condo, I have 25 masks. 25. Um, they're all intricate and amazing. And again, I had them so that I could do a shared screen. But again, since the audience is not going to able, not going to be able to see see any of the other masks, um, I guess I'm not going to be able um, to do that. To see them, are you going to be doing like a talk at one of the times uh, during the month of February about the uh, your uncle and the masks? Mary, no. The, um, I'll check with the library to see, but my schedule is um, so hectic. But you know what? I'm going to check with the library to see if there's a day and time and a room, and um, I'll do that. And I'll, you know that I'll follow up and let you know. Trina, that library um, system is excellent with Zoom communications. I've taken so many Zoom programs with them, so that might be something to possibly consider that you know because that technology is there it would be very interesting to go along with this exhibit so along with this workbook do you have um is there a place where all a book let's say where all the masks are documented with some of your stories that's something I'm working on now. I actually um, wrote a book, but my book is filled with poetry and short stories. But there is a short story in my book that's actually called The Suitcase. And I'm, I'm going to have to kind of build my courage up here while, while I share that story. Um, my uncle's neighbors actually called me. I had had a, a, a talk with my uncle 
about three days before his passing, and he was telling me, um, you know, I'm just having, you know, problems breathing. And we had talked about the breathing machine and additional care for him. And he said, no, I'm not going to do any of that. I've had a wonderful life. I want you to know, Trina, I have had a wonderful life. And then he started coughing. That I had to pause. And I said, is everything all right, Uncle Charles? Do I need to do I need to come and check on you? He's like, no, 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 sweetheart. No, I'm fine. Unfortunately, Larry, I start weeping mm-hmm. I, because I got a sense that that something was not right. But he said, oh, sweetheart, please don't cry. Don't cry. Don't worry about me. I'm OK. I, I've had a wonderful life. But if anything happens, I just want you to know that there's going to be a suitcase in the condo. And I want you to go to that suitcase and everything is going to be there for you. Two days later, his neighbors call me, his best friends, and they are my best friends now. I consider them family. Um, Deanna Lamke, who is native Alaskan, and Mike Shaw. She called and said, I don't hear your Uncle Charlie moving around in the condo. I said, "Okay." I said, Deanna, I need you to call the Juneau Police Department. Could you call them for me, please? She says, no problem. No problem. She called about 45 minutes later. um, They called me to let me know that my uncle had passed. He had passed where he wanted to in his condo with his mask. I need people to understand how important it is to respect individuals, to respect their wishes. Um, In my previous life, I was an Alzheimer's director. I work with Alzheimer and dementia patients. I always respected the family members, the caregivers, and you have to understand those dementia patients. And the main reason why is because they have moments of clarity. Mm-hmm. And in those moments of clarity, it's extremely important to respect them. Yeah. They're so, pristine moments of clarity too. Right. Absolutely. So when I got the news that my uncle had passed, he had already made all the arrangements to um, have the funeral home pick up the body, to um, have it transported to the funeral home. Um, So all that was taken care of. What I had to do was book a flight to Juneau. Um, So from Chicago to Seattle to Juneau. And when I went to the apartment, um, my uncle's friends were there. And I unlocked the apartment. And there in the living room, was a briefcase. When I opened that briefcase, everything was in there that I needed. Um, His military papers, his birth certificate, the will, um, bank statements, everything that he wanted. I have learned a valuable lesson, Larry, from that briefcase. And that story, again, is in the book that I wrote. I have a briefcase now 
I still have my uncle's briefcase because I want to honor and respect him. And that's why his masks are going to be on display. But I have a briefcase for my grandchildren because when my uncle passed in October, my only child passed that December. Mm. I just get a sense that my uncle um, in the heavens above was trying to prepare me. Um, so I feel extremely honored um, to be the first niece because he has other nieces. Um, he has other nephews. But we just had this special bond. And again, it's important for me, and, and I want to share that with the audience, how important it is to respect and share the legacy, um, especially if you have individuals that are creators um, and are very creative. Um, and my uncle, Charles Dean Bugs, was a master artist of creating masks. Um, he went by a name, the Mass Man. Oh. And everyone in Juneau, Alaska, knew my uncle Charlie as the Mass Man. He received awards from the um, governor at that time when he was working with high school students just based on spending time with Native Alaskan students so they could share um, this art um, that he really cherished as well. That's such a beautiful uh, story. And you need to create a website to share all this. I mean, a website so people can visually visit and uh, share that whole legacy and the stories behind it. Because uh, like the example you just gave with a suitcase, you know, it's nice that you are the holder of this information. And that would be really great for other people to share. And uh, and you, are you thinking of taking these maybe on exhibit, maybe in art galleries also? I'm sure some of them would be interested in displaying them. Well, what I wanted to do, I'm really holding everything um, kind of close to me. I've finally been able to really kind of release because I've been um, holding on and now I know it's time to release. Um, I have his workbook. So at some point in my interesting, busy life, <laughs> I, I will work on adding to the workbook to um, share his amazing story, um, as well as creating a website. And that may be, I'm going to be working with some university students. Um, there's a professor at Oklahoma um, Baptist College that wants to work on a project with me. So this is a project I will probably have them um, work with me on, you know, creating a website and finishing up a workbook. But um, it's also I, so beautiful, Trina, how he was so at, <clears throat> excuse me, so at peace with the whole process and how he was so comfortable with knowing that, you know, our lives begin and then they do have an end and that he gathered all of that and was so conscious of it. It's so beautiful. Well, he was extremely, just a very kind man. Um, he spent time in the Army. I spent time in the Army. My dad spent time in the Army. So there's a lot of parallels. He was a teacher. My dad's a retired teacher, and I'm a teacher. So again, I'm a teacher at Ivy Tech Community College. Lake County campuses, 
Gary, East Chicago, Crown Point. And I look forward to sharing my uncle's mask at the Lake County Library the month of February. And you never know, I might schedule some time to be there to meet and greet and kind of share some of those stories as well. We'd like to thank you for being on Art in the Air. That's Dr. Tarina Jackson, and uh, she'll be sharing her uncle's beautiful mass there at the Lake County Library all of February, and that's the one in Maryville. Thank you so much for coming on Art in the Air and sharing your wonderful story. Thank you so much, Trina. Thank you. Thank you, both of you. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Art in the Air, and we'd like to thank our guests this week on WVLP 103.1 FM and Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, our weekly program covering arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art in the Air is heard every Friday at 11 a.m. and rebroadcast Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP. Art in the Air streams live at WVLP.org and is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m. Plus is also heard on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM every Sunday at 7 p.m. Also streaming live at LakeshorePublicRadio.org and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Thanks again to Greg Kovach, WVLP Station Manager, and Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant and the National Endowment for the Arts. Underwriters for Art in the Air, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments, and Marilyn Van, Arts Patron. Art in the Air is always looking for financial support. We'd like to thank our current supporters. If you're looking to support Art in the Air, Esther and I especially would invite you to become an underwriter of this program in particular. We have information on our website at breck.com slash AOTA. You can find out support information there. So don't just be an Art on the Air listener. Become a supporter or underwriter in whatever amount you're able to do so so we continue to bring you this great content and this great local programming. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. And you'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. If you're interested in being a guest or send us information about your arts, arts-related event, or exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com, or contact us through our Facebook page. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden, and we invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself you art. And show the world your heart. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart. Express yourself you are and show the world